Well, hey there, Apex Church. My name is Dale Stevenson. I'm coming to you from Melbourne, Australia. Now, I'm also coming to you from uh, from lockdown. My state, the state of Victoria, has been declared a state of disaster and therefore there are severe restrictions that are taking place in our state right now because of coronavirus. I'm not even allowed to go to the church to record this. So I'm actually recording this to you from my home. I'm a married man. I'm 56. I've got four young adult children. Three of them are married. And uh, our second grandchild is in the womb uh, right now. It's great to be with you. Uh, Mike and Sally Breen. Mike, who's your uh, lead discipleship uh, pastor, is a dear friend and has also mentored me over the years in lots of different ways. And so it's just a real joy uh, to come and be with you today. My context is that I'm the senior pastor of Crossway Baptist Church. Crossway is the largest Baptist church in the nation of Australia. Just before COVID-19, last year, we averaged just shy of 5,000 people who'd physically attend the facility on a weekend. I'm a converted atheist from some decades ago, raised in a secular Aussie family, and I love Jesus uh, these days. Uh, my role has me, uh, uh, it's a clearly a position of, uh, of influence when you're holding this type of role. Uh, we are coaching uh, currently 71 churches from 10 different denominations across our nation and also some over in New Zealand. And uh, we are coaching them in how to build a discipling culture. Uh, the reason we're doing that is because we went on a bit of a journey uh, for a bit more than a decade. If I was able to kind of throw throw us back about 11 years, it felt to me that Crossway was seriously underperforming in its understanding and in its capacity to know how to make disciples of Jesus. That caused us to look afresh at the scriptures, the words, the ways, and the works of Jesus. It caused us to look globally where the gospel was really going gangbusters. And we said, okay, what are Christians in those countries, in China, India, Africa, South Korea, wherever it might be, South America, what are they doing that Western Christians are not doing that we need to pay some attention to? And uh, then we also looked for uh, people and groups that we believe were uh, world best practice. And that's actually uh, what caused me to bump into Mike and Sally Breen. Some people started saying to me, you must have read Mike, Mike's books. You speak in a similar way to him. I said, I've never heard of Mike. I haven't read his books. I did then. And, uh, and I had the, the beautiful opportunity to go and stay with Mike and Sally uh, for a few days. Mike and I spoke for hours and hours and we wrote things on paper, etc., which sent me on a journey which caused me to learn much from your lead pastor, uh, lead discipleship pastor, uh, Mike Breen. But we looked in other domains as well. And one of our own men, uh, Steve Addison, uh, did his uh, Doctor of Ministries in Movements that Changed the World. And it was Steve who said to me, Dale, he said, why is soccer the world game? I said, Steve, I've got no idea. Why is soccer the world game? He said, because anyone, anywhere, anytime can play it. A child with a tin can in an alley, not even a ball or rules or goals. He said, they can play a form of soccer. That all the way through to the World Cup final. It's all soccer. I said, great. And then he looked at me and said, Dale, until making disciples becomes that simple, it will not go viral. That really was the central thesis of his doctor of, uh, of ministry. And so I thought, wow, wh whatever really is going to be able to go viral, it's got to be something uh, that, that's going to be simple. Uh, we, we have to look at how we make disciples of Jesus and really simplify it.
uh, we uh, discovered a gentleman by the name of David Watson. And uh, David Watson introduced us to what he calls Discovery Bible Study. And uh, we've rebranded that Discovery Bible Method because David himself says it's not actually study. It's, it's more about discovery. And I thought, well, why have you got the word discovery in there? So we, we, we now call it Discovery Bible Method. Now, en route, as we, as we learned, we vacuumed up whatever we could, we looked afresh at the words of Jesus, all of a sudden we saw our missional impact. That is, not only how many people were coming to know Jesus, but who it was that was helping them come to know Jesus. And it really thrilled me. We, we jumped to 10 times the national average. I don't know what it's like in the United States, but in Australia, it takes 100 worshipping Christians a full year to see one person cross the line, for, for one person to actually put their trust in Jesus for the first time, who historically would have said, I'm not a follower of Jesus, and then to say, Jesus is my Savior and my Lord, I've put my trust in him, whatever kind of language that you'd use for that at, at Apex Church. It would take 100 Christians a full year to see one person. It's a 1% ratio. And all of a sudden, we, we jumped we jumped to a 10% ratio. So how many people are showing up on a weekend uh, including children, annually, we started seeing 10% of that number put their trust in Jesus for the first time. Some of the things that changed for us, one was our understanding of discipleship. Uh, classically, Western Christian, uh, Christianity has an understanding that you convert a person before you disciple them. So it kind of goes, uh, you know, get, get them converted. Somehow you've got to share the gospel with them. When they put their trust in Jesus, now you disciple them. In other words, discipleship is a more mature Christian working with a less mature Christian. But when we looked at Jesus, who is the master discipler, uh, we said, well, he had no Christians to start with. Uh, he, he just took people exactly where they're at. And he discipled them towards faith in him to the point where they put their faith in him and ultimately gave everything, including their lives, away from, uh, for him. And, and we started to realize discipleship begins at first point of contact and it's directional. You disciple people towards faith in Jesus. You don't have to wait until they're converted. And so we started to synthesize some of our learnings. And then there were certain scriptures that were really, really helpful for us, like Acts chapter 4, verse 13, where Peter and John stand before the Sanhedrin. And I love it in that verse where, like, they took note of their boldness. But it, it, when it describes them, it says they could tell, in English, it says that they were unschooled and ordinary men. Now, the, um, uh, you don't have to be a Greek scholar to understand these Greek words. The, the two words that describe them in the Greek are that they were agrammatos idiotes. They were agrammatos idiotes, unschooled, ordinary guys. But then it says, but they could tell that they had been with Jesus. So the discipling process, it had an, it had an impact on them. I, I also uh, took note from the very first parable uh, that's recorded in Mark's gospel. Now, history tells us that the Apostle Peter is, is the author behind uh, Mark's gospel. And, and I, I love it uh, when Jesus, in, in Mark chapter 4, when he um, uh, told the story, and it's the parable of the sower. And what I love about this parable is that not only did, did Jesus uh, tell it, but that Jesus also interpreted it. And I want to go straight to his interpretation as I read you a little bit from Mark chapter 4. I'm, I'm in, the, uh, in the New Living Translation. Because Jesus said this in verse 13, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand any of the parables? So in other words, this first parable 
that the Apostle Peter wanted recorded in Mark's gospel. He said, this is the pivotal one. Jesus said, this is the seminal one. And and it's all about a parable of of a a farmer sowing seed. And Jesus interprets it. He, He never identified who the farmer was apart from the person who is sowing the word of God. He said the seed was the word of God. And uh, Jesus was more than prepared, by the way, to say, I am the, you know, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the resurrection of life. I am the way, the truth, and life, etc. You know that. But here he didn't say, I am the farmer, because he didn't want to restrict it to himself. Anyone can be the farmer. You can be the farmer. Anyone can be the sower of the seed, which is the word of God. Now, of course, he speaks about it landing in all sorts of different types of soil. He describes the uh, the phenomena that takes place in the various hearts until uh, he gets to verse 20, where he speaks about, and the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest, 30, 60, or even a hundred times as much as had been planted. So the very seminal parable from Jesus is a parable that involves the sowing of the word of God and it involves multiplication. Now you can cross-reference that back to John chapter 4 where, where Jesus links harvest with souls, with with people coming into the kingdom. The the fruitfulness that's spoken of here is not just the word of God being sown into a Christian heart and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. that, That would be to severely restrict actually the impact of this parable. Really, the impact of this parable, and I actually think it's the primary impact of this parable, is that the word of God can be sown into the hearts of people in such a way that there is a harvest of souls through them, of 30, 60, and 100-fold. Now, this idea of a of a 30-fold increase uh, we've we've started to see in in actuality because I said uh, here at, at Crossway now we've we've jumped into this kind of ten times the national average zone where um, whatever the weekend attendance is about ten percent of that number of people physically genuinely put their trust in Jesus for the first time and to get on that list you need a name you need contact details and a story saying I've never done this before these are not hands in the back of a shady room these are real people with a real story saying that they have put their trust uh, in Jesus but here's the 30 fold increase or a 33 percent increase actually Um, uh, last year for example we had 270 people who read the Bible with a pre-Christian friend. And I'm going to be explaining to you how you do that. And, but I want to tell you some stories around it as well. And so uh, 270 people last year did that. At the, uh, in January this year, we just surveyed the congregation. How many of you read the, the Bible with a pre-Christian friend? 270 said yes. Then we said, did your friend put their trust in Jesus? And 90 of them said yes. That's 33%. It's exactly a third, actually. And then the vast majority of the other 67% said, not yet. Now, I was one of the ones who had to write, not yet, uh, because I'd only started reading the Bible with Dan in November. So when we're surveying in January, uh, 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 Dan hadn't put his trust in Jesus yet. So I'm recording this for you in August 2020. And uh, so I've been now reading the Bible with Dan for a full nine months 
And uh, But Dan has shifted. He used to describe himself as an atheist. Uh, he's now shifted and he now describes himself as an agnostic. But not only that, uh, Dan these days says, uh, if there is a God there, I'm prepared to give my life to him. I'm prepared to give everything to him. He just needs to actually identify himself that he is there. He understands the gospel. He understands the claims of Jesus. He understands that Jesus died on the cross for his sins. He's, he's, he needs something to take place. He needs a God encounter. But here's the wonderful thing. I, I was reading the Bible with Dan just last week. And at the end of our time of reading the Bible together, we're doing it on Zoom, by the way. I can't meet with him physically right now. But at the, at the end of that time together, uh, I prayed for him. I said, it's okay if I pray for you. He said, yeah, yeah. I prayed for him. And then after I prayed for him, he said, would it be okay if I prayed for you as well? I said, certainly. And to hear Dan, a man who formerly described himself as an atheist, putting the language around, he's calling out to God. He's saying, God, I just want to say thanks for Dale. And, and he really, he effectively, he prayed a blessing on my life. And I really did feel blessed as he prayed like that. Now, for that group of people who've been reading the Bible with pre-Christian friend inside any one year, we're now seeing that group operating kind of at a 30-fold effectiveness uh, to the nation of Australia. Uh, one of the churches that we're, uh, that we're coaching right now, they're from the Lutheran tradition, and prior to us coaching them, we did that on a fortnightly basis, just personally for them, must involve their minister. And um, in the previous five years, the entire church had only seen one person put their trust uh, in Jesus. But, you know, within six months of coaching just a small group of them, a half a dozen people, already just from that half a dozen people, they've seen three people put their trust in Jesus for the first time. That would be six a year at that rate, which would be 30 over five years. It's a 30-fold increase from the entire church to just a small group of six people. And that's not an isolated incident. So I want to tell you a little bit about uh, Discovery Bible Method and and I, I, I hope that this inspires and equips you because on mass in Australia, Australian Christians do not know how to disciple a friend towards faith in Jesus. Some really bold souls try to share the gospel with a friend like an event. It's like a hard line. Their friend goes, oh, I'm, I'm not ready for that. The Christian says to themselves, I'm really bad at this. You know, Nothing ever happens when I try and share my faith. Obviously, I'm not an evangelist. And so en masse, and I mean en masse, Australian Christianity has convinced itself that they can't do it. They're no good at it. Their own personal narrative says that they says that they can't do it. And so what we're finding by introducing the idea of discovery Bible method to people, not only are Christians who've never ever known how to disciple a person of faith in Jesus now doing it, but they're even saying it's easy. We're training all the way down to children and all the way up to senior citizens. And when I say children, I'm talking like nine and 10-year-olds and up who, who themselves, you only have to be able to read because the, the exercise of reading the Bible with a pre-Christian friend in the method I'm about to share with you is not a difficult thing to do at all. Everyone contextualizes it themselves. And it, but here's the really incredible thing for me. We've actually started to see people who are not yet Christians actually evangelize their friends. They are not yet a Christian, but they're reading the Bible with a friend and their friend puts their trust in Jesus even before they have themselves. Now, I don't know what that does to you, but for me, that is a really big, uh, what a big nudge to the Christian community from God 
where God himself would effectively say, crumbs, if I can't, even, if I can't get Christians to do this, I think I'm going to get people who don't even know Jesus yet because he can speak through anyone. Crumbs, if he can speak through Balaam's donkey, man, he can speak through anybody. He can definitely speak through you. So I, I want to I help you. Now, now, some of you might be going, hang on, you, you've just taken it outside the bounds. How, how's it even possible for someone who doesn't know Jesus to help their friend to come to know Jesus? So here's a real story before I even tell you how Discovery Bible Method works. I trained a group of ministers, pastors. One of them was, a, was an, uh, an Anglican minister. You would describe them as an Episcopalian. He was evangelical. And, uh, and God really touched his heart with it. He, he was trying to reject the idea. It felt too simple. God wouldn't let him off the hook. He went back to his home city. And he'd identified a person who kind of fit the profile that I'm going to share with you shortly. And his name was Muhammad. Muhammad was an Iranian Muslim. And uh, so when the minister uh, met uh, Muhammad, he said to Muhammad, he said, Muhammad, I'm looking for somebody to read the Bible with. I don't know whether you'd be interested. And Muhammad responded and said to him, he said, oh, he said, in my religion, he said, the Bible is a sacred book, but I've never read one verse from it. It would be my honor to read the Bible with you. So they got together and they read a passage. Now in the passage that they read, someone actually put their trust in Jesus and got baptized. So clearly it was from the book of Acts. And maybe it's Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, which would be a really good example because you got Philip actually reading the scriptures with the Ethiopian eunuch prior to the Ethiopian eunuch putting his trust in Jesus. And anyway, they, they read it through. And, and what you do with Discovery Bible Method, it's not a difficult thing to do. Uh, small passage, you know, five to ten verses. Read it twice out loud. Then close your Bible and then try to retell it from memory, which is a bit scary actually. It demonstrates how little attention you've been paying. Then you open it up and you both be quiet for about five minutes. Just look and see what stands out. And then when you're ready, you come back together. Really, when you say what stands out, does it say anything about God? Does it say anything about us, about life, anything we can do? And, um, and once you've kind of discerned from the passage what stood out, you come back together and you share it. Then you come out the back edge with a little bit of a challenge, like, what are we going to do about this? Or who can we tell? Well, the Anglican minister did that with Muhammad. And once they'd spoken about it, Muhammad had you know, read it out loud twice, tried to retell it. He'd sat quietly looking at the scriptures while the Anglican minister did as well. Of course, the Anglican minister would have been praying for him at that point in time. And they got back together and they talked about it. And once it got to the very back edge, so the minister said to him, he said, well, Muhammad, so what are you going to do about this? Who are you going to tell? And Muhammad went, wow, he said, uh, he said, I've got a whole network of Iranian Muslim friends and uh, none of them have, uh, have read a verse from the Bible either. He said, what I'm going to do, he said, uh, I'm, I want to get some Persian Bibles. I want to read the same passage with them in the same way you just did it with me. And uh, so the minister actually helped him get some Persian Bibles and about a week later, Muhammad got back together with the minister. And the minister said to him, okay, Muhammad, come on, tell us, uh, how's your week been? What did you do with what we spoke about last week? And Muhammad told this story. He said, I got together with 12 of my friends with the Persian Bibles. We read the same passage that you read with me. We did it the same way. We read it out loud twice. We tried to retell it. We all sat quietly. And then we talked about what we were observing, like what we discovered. It's Discovery Bible Method, what we discovered. And he said, but when I got to the back edge, and he said, I said to the group, so what are we going to do about this? Who are we going to tell? He said, one of the ladies raised her hand and she said, I, I want to put my trust in Jesus like the man in the story. 
put his trust in Jesus. She said, I want to be, I want to be baptized in the name of Jesus like, like he was baptized in the name of Jesus. So Muhammad said to the Anglican minister, he said, so we baptized her in the name of Jesus. What's lesson number two? Now, before you get all thingy on whether or not that was the right way for a baptism to happen. I want you to see what just happened. I want, I want you to see that even though Muhammad himself had never put his trust in Jesus at this point in time, he brought the good news to his network. Like he behaved like a classic, what we'll describe shortly as a, a, a person of peace. Uh, he, he liked the Anglican ministry. He listened to him. He was happy to serve him. And he opened up his network. And Muhammad himself brought the word of God. Just He became like the farmer who sows the seed. And in that one lady's heart, she was ready to receive the word of God. I want to tell you how I started with this. I remember when I was starting to learn about this and, and I thought to myself, I, I, um, I, I don't know if you do this, this might be a bit weird for you, but I sometimes, if, I'm, if I've got a kind of a strong conviction about something, I'll sometimes both pray to God, but I'll do it in front of the mirror and, and I'll even sometimes talk to myself. And I did it on this occasion. I looked at myself and I said, I said Stevenson, that's me, Stevenson, I said, you cannot just be a theorist about this. You've got to do it. So don't, don't bother telling anyone about it. If you want to do it yourself, you've got to be prepared to do it. And so I landed that in my heart. I am not going to be a theorist. I'm going to be a practitioner. I'm going to do this thing. And uh, so I started praying. I said, God, who in my world fits the profile? They like me. They listen to me. They serve me. Who's, cause I, I, uh, that, that little framework actually comes... Look at, look at Luke chapter 10, when Jesus sent out the 72. And he gave them authority and he gave them the mission that to cast out evil spirits and raise the dead and preach good news. But he said, when you get to the village, he said, there is going to be a household. And when you speak the blessing of God on that household, they will receive it. And he said, don't move from house to house. Stay there. Let them serve you. Eat their food. And so th- this simple grid of when you take the message to a village, there's going to be somewhere. Now, if you're into Greek words, the two Greek words that describe this person is euios Aranus. They are a, literally a son of peace. And I describe the provenient grace of God being there. In other words, there are people in your world where the grace of God is already active. God is there before you. God's already plowing up the ground. He's already preparing their hearts. He's waiting for the soul to come and sow the seed to share the word of God with them. And I can imagine Peter and John going out to a village for the first time and looking at one another and saying, what, what do you think he meant by that person of peace thing? Saying, I don't know. How are we supposed to find him? I don't know how we're supposed to find him. But when they got there and as they were moving around and, and clearly they've got an upfront spirituality and they come across somebody who was kind of leaning in, who was listening a little more and who liked them and who offered hospitality to them. And, and they would have gone, oh, this, this is the person Jesus spoke about. It's like Jesus was describing, here's how you do it. There are going to be people in your world. You don't have to go after Richard Dawkins in your workplace. There are people in your world. They like you. They listen to you. They'll serve you. They'd even open up their network to you. Or they may open up their network to the Word of God, even uh, themselves like Muhammad did. And so I kind of prayed about, who in my world fits that profile? And there's a gentleman up the street, his name's Stuart. 
I'd met him, met him a couple of times. We'd even exchanged phone numbers once, but I'd never used it. But I, I had his name and phone number on my phone. But he, he mowed the grass outside my house, like out at the street, because my neighbours are his in-laws. And when he was mowing just like a strip, like only like a, a yard and a half wide, but the width of my house... But when he did theirs, he'd just keep pushing and he'd, he'd do the fr- a little bit out the front of my place. Uh, I don't know if you call it the footpath in America, but, but the, the pavement, the bit between the pavement and the road, there's grass in Australia very frequently. And he'd just do that bit in front of my house because he was already there and he's already pushing it and he'd just do it. And I'd met him at a couple of street functions that we did, drinks and things like that. And I, I kind of, we'd kind of triggered enough with one another and I thought, okay, maybe he's the guy. I started praying for him. And I was picturing in my mind how it was going to happen. I was going to see him in the street and we were going to chat about life. Hey, you going, Stuart? You know, how's life? How's the family? Chat away. And then at a certain point, I was going to take a deep breath and say, hey, uh, Stuart, uh, this, you know, this might be coming out of left field, but um, I'm actually looking for someone to read the Bible with. I don't know whether you'd be interested. So that's the way it was going to happen in my mind. But I'm sitting in my office. I've been praying for him about six weeks. I hadn't seen him. I hadn't seen him for months, actually. I'm doing emails in my office. And all of a sudden, right out of nowhere, I get this thought. Hey, um, call Stuart now. <laughs> and I went, nah, nah. That's, uh, I'm not going to do it. That's not a good idea. That's, that's not the way this thing was going to play out. I'm not going to do it that way. So I kept typing. But it kind of came again, but even a little bit stronger, like a bit more insistent, like call Stuart now so I stopped typing and I started praying and I said God I don't think it's a good idea to do it this way like this is not the way I thought this whole idea was going to pan out but I think this might be your Holy Spirit who's prompting me so I'm going to call him now but I'm putting it on the record I think it's a bad idea to do it this way but I'm going to do it because I think it's maybe you who's prompting me the risk is all yours God so I called him up and he answered the phone, Stuart here. I said, oh, get it, get it, Stuart, it's uh, Dale. I'm the guy who lives down the road like I'm a pastor. He goes, oh, yeah, I remember you. He says, how can I help? I took a deep breath and I went, well, uh, <clears throat> um, at least my feelings coming out of nowhere. But um, I'm, like, I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with and I just wondered whether you might be interested. And I just stopped. I actually felt like, I felt like God said, stop. He's the next one to speak. And that was silent. Like it felt like I was silent for a very long time. It was probably only about three seconds. But he said, he said, he goes, oh, he says, that'd be awesome. He said, I'd love to do that with you. And then all of a sudden it was like, I was like, I was trying to give him an excuse to say no. I said, I said, like, like, I mean, like, like once a week. He goes, oh yeah, yeah. He, and he said, uh, like he said, he said, if we, if we like met before, like over breakfast before work, like 6.30, would that work? I said, yeah, yeah. He goes, like, what, Macca's or a cafe or something? I said, yeah. He goes, okay, so we named the time and the place Tuesday, 6.30, here we go. And we hung up the phone and I went, who, like, who would have believed that? Now, when I got together with him on our first time together, he told me when he was a child, he was sexually abused by a priest. He'd completely moved away from anything vaguely Christian. In fact, he'd become quite Eastern. He'd become a black belt in Kung Fu uh, so he could defend himself. He's quite Eastern in his uh, spirituality. And we started going on the journey. 
I began to disciple him towards faith in Jesus. In fact, after about four times we'd done it together, he said to me, he said, Dale, he says, why are you doing this with me? I said, Stuart, I'm doing this with you because I, I hope one day you'll actually be a disciple of Jesus, you'll be a follower of Jesus, and that you'll do what I'm doing with you with somebody else. And he went, he flopped back in his chair and folded his eyes. Oh, he says, I'm not ready for that. I said, I realize you're not ready for that right now, but that's why I'm doing, with it, doing it with you. He goes, fair enough. You know, at a certain point, he started reading the Bible every day privately. He said to me one week, he said, uh, he said, what's Jesus got against the scribes and the Pharisees? He said, I thought Jesus was all about love. He said, it's like he hates these guys. Like, what's, what's wrong with them? Why does he, why does he hate them? I said, well, I, said, well I, I, think, I don't think I'd, he doesn't say it that way. I said, how about we read together uh, from Matthew 23, and that's where seven times over Jesus said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Like you wash the outside of the bowl, but inside it's all dirty. You know that passage. And so we read it. And as we read it out loud, he kept saying, Let's just read that a bit again. And, and it took us a long time to read through that longer text than we normally would. And after we'd read through a couple of times, he sat back and he said, Well, there you go. I said, What? He said, I agree with Jesus. He said, I hate hypocrisy too. It took about six months before Stuart put his trust in Jesus. But I still see him. We're still on the same street and we'll catch up and, and uh, we'll, we'll, talk, we'll, talk about, we'll talk about Jesus. His work hasn't actually allowed him to be coming to church on Sundays because he works during that time. But we, we've had a chance. Like we, we, we're still catching up. I, I spoke to Stuart a couple of weeks ago. And we, what did we chat about? We chatted about the Lord. He's crossed the line. I remember, I remember reading the Bible with a gentleman called Tuan. He was a kind of secular Buddhist from Vietnam, a Vietnamese Australian. He was the cafe manager where my daughters worked as waitresses. And I got connected to him through one of my daughters. And I said to him, hey, Tony, you know, I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with. Don't know whether you'd be interested. He said, yeah. He said, he said I'd actually like that. And it didn't take long at all, actually, with Tony. Tony told me he was starting to say to his friends, he, he would say, I'm becoming a Christian, but I'm not one yet. Isn't that a fascinating way of putting it? He said, I'm becoming a Christian, but I'm not one yet. And I was saying to Tony, I said, Tony, no one can push you over the line here. I said, at a certain point, because uh, I, 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 we'd, we'd read from the Bible how Jesus had died on the cross for his sins and that God was laying claim to his name and, and, to, and to his life. And that I said, but at a certain point, you're going to get that sense that God himself is inviting you into a relationship with him. And I said, and, and at that moment, I said, to have integrity to yourself and to the process you've been through, you, you're going to be responding to him. You're going to say, I'm not going to do it my way anymore. I'm going to do it your way. You're going to turn away from that type of life. And you're going to say to Jesus, thank you. What you did on the cross, you did for me. And on week five, when I was together with Tony, we did a reading from Matthew chapter five, and he really enjoyed it. And he said to me, can we do from Matthew chapter six next week? He said, I really enjoyed Matthew five. I said, sure. And so next week when we got together, when he came, when he arrived, his face looked different. That's all, that's all I can describe. His face looked different. And I said, hey, Tony, how are you going? And his opening phrase to me was, I want to get baptized. I went, Why? And he said, I put my trust in Jesus this week. I said, how? How'd that happen? 
He said it was Matthew chapter 6. He said, I couldn't stop reading it. He said, I read it over and over and over and over. And he said, all of a sudden I realized it's describing the sort of person that I want to be. He said, all of a sudden I thought, this is my moment. He said, I felt like God was all around me. It was like God was approaching me and like God was laying claim to my life. So he said, I I, I put my trust in Jesus. I asked Jesus to be my Savior and my Lord. I said, Tony, that's absolutely awesome. Now, when you've got a whole lot of people, because you might say, yeah, but Dale, you sound like you may be wired up like an evangelist, and you'd be right. As a former atheist, I am wired up uh, like an evangelist. But I want to tell you a story about a lady called Anne, Anne 72, introvert. In fact, when, when Anne got trained in Discovery Bible Method, Anne's first comment was that she, she didn't think she knew anyone who wasn't a Christian. But then she realized, oh, there actually was one younger couple than herself. So she asked them if they'd like to read the Bible with her, and they said no. So she was sitting in her lounge room. She was feeling all grumpy about it. And she was, she was having a chat to both God and to herself. And uh, she was saying, I knew it wouldn't work. I knew it wouldn't work with me. Like, it never works with me. Some things work for other people. It never works for me. She'd never, she'd followed Jesus for over five decades and never once had ever helped one person to put their trust in Jesus. And as she's sitting there kind of complaining to God about the whole thing, she's looking at her lounge room window. And at the end of her driveway, in Australia, we call them a lollipop lady. They hold a sign to help children near a school cross the road. I don't know what you call that in America. And, but she was in Australia. So she's a lollipop lady. And she'd done that job at the end of Anne's driveway for 10 years. And Anne said she wouldn't have even known how many times she'd said hi to her, but they'd never even exchanged names. So God said to her, what about the lollipop lady? So Anne jumped up really quickly. She went out of the driveway and she said to the lady, she said, hi, my name's Anne. And the lollipop lady said, yeah, yeah, we've said hi hundreds of times. And and Anne, Anne said to her, she said, uh, she said look, I, I know this is going to feel like it's coming out of nowhere, but I'm actually looking for someone to read the Bible with. And I just wondered whether that might be something you'd be interested in. And the lady looked at her and she said, my son became a Christian three weeks ago. I'd love to know what he's just gotten himself into. So Anne said, are you free for a cup of tea at the end of your shift? She said, I am. So when the lady finished, she came in, had a cup of tea with Anne. Now, I don't even know which passage they read from the Bible that day. I don't know which passage. And it don't, can I say it doesn't normally happen like this. But on the very first time that they read the Bible together, Anne was able to help that lady put her trust in Jesus. She stepped over the line. Now, when you've got people who never, they're Christian people who never in their life have been at a disciple a person towards faith in Jesus. And of course, when a person puts their trust in Jesus, you continue to disciple them because the Discovery Bible Method strategy is a discipleship strategy based around the Word of God. It's, based, it's, it's empowered by prayer and the Holy Spirit. That is the preparation that you do. And with a very simple reading together of Scripture, we, we allow people to discover what God is saying to them from his word so that they are able to take very simple and replicable steps. steps. Now, I just want to, in, in really quick form now, I want to tell you how you can do this because really you, you personally, you can do this. Don't just be a hearer of this word, be a doer of this word, okay? 
you actually can begin to disciple people towards faith in Jesus. So here's how it begins. It all it all born out of prayer. Number one, pray. Who in my world is potentially a person of peace? Who in your world is potentially a person of peace? They like you. They listen to you. Crumbs, they would, they would even serve you. God's already at work there. Identify them. Write their name down. Might be multiple names. Start to pray for them. Okay, then... Write this phrase down. I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with. I don't know whether you'd be interested. Like if you need more than that at the front edge, hey, this might feel like it's coming out of nowhere. And at the back edge, hey, it's okay if you don't want to do it. Like you don't have to burn your relational bridge with them. It's, it's almost like inviting them to help you. You're looking for this. You don't know whether they'd be interested. Now, when you get together, the significant bit is not which passage you read, but rather that you open up a whole season where you're regularly reflecting on the Word of God with them. So which bit you read is not the big deal. That's People can get a little bit hang up on that. It's the Word of God. God can speak to them from, from absolutely any text, really. Don't make it too long. Your preparation for when you get together is prayer. It's not exegesis. And this is actually a really important bit. Here's, here's a bit of a mistake that Christians can make. The power imbalance on knowledge of the Bible can be really profound. And so I say, please pay attention. This is a very important bit. Christian person, I'm speaking to you. Do not demonstrate how much you know. Because at the point that you start demonstrating knowledge that they don't have, when you do things that they cannot do, they will say to themselves, I cannot do this with somebody else because I don't know the Bible like my friend does. It's got to be simple discovery from the passage. As you read it, you you say what you are seeing. Don't give a hundred sermons you've heard around it and don't exegete it from the Greek and none of that sort of stuff. You just say what you see from the passage. You have to do it so simply that the person says to themselves, oh, this is not difficult, I, I could do this. Because really, at, it's at the point that you trigger them where they start to read the Bible with somebody else. That's really where you've got, you know, why is soccer the world game? Because anyone, anywhere, anytime can play it. Discovery Bible method has to be like that. So your preparation is prayer, not exegesis. So then you read the passage out twice, just out loud. You close your Bible, you try to retell it, uses a different part of your brain. Then you open it, and this is a very important bit, you both sit quietly, maybe five minutes or so. And just say to, say to the person, just see what stands out for you. That's an important phrase, actually. Just see what stands out for you. Don't say, see what God has to say to you from his word, because that's got a lot of presumption built into it. All you need to do for the, for the pre-Christian person, just see what stands out. And you, then we trust God will make things stand out to them from, from his word. Just see what stands out for you. Anything about God, about us, about life, anything we could do, you look at it. I'm going to do the same. Now, when you're both sitting there quietly, you can pray for them, but you also have to see what God's saying to you from his word, like a now word for your day to day. After five minutes or so, you can say, hey, do you see anything? Yeah. And then just chat about it. Let them chat. It will amaze you how much a pre-Christian person can observe inside the Word of God. And when they are speaking, what they are observing, their own conviction about it begins to develop. It doesn't all have to happen in one session because you're opening up a whole zone 
where, where you, you're, you're discipling them towards faith in Jesus. And there'll be some of the texts that are really invitational. Some of the texts will be really challenging. But in the midst of it, you're just stepping them, small steps in the Jesus direction. So you have your open chat about it. You come off the back edge with a bit of a challenge. It's the, so what, can we, what are we going to do? Like when you're talking about profound stuff about life, God, yourselves, the way we live, what are you going to do? Is there anything that we can do about this? And who are you going to tell? Because when you learn something new, it's at the point that you speak it to somebody that it, something really uh, uh, takes, place, takes place in your own heart. And then when you get together next week, it's as simple as A, B, C. A, ask. How's your week been? What'd you do with what we spoke about last week? There's transparent accountability right there. Mm -hmm. B, Bible, same process. C, face a challenge. It's the challenge. Ask Bible challenge. A, B, C, week after week after week. And you directionally open up a zone and you disciple people towards faith in Jesus. 33 times more effective than Australian Christianity on average. You can fill in the numbers for America. You can fill in the numbers for Apex Church. But I want to say to you, to each one of you who's viewing this right now, uh, and I, I really, I just, I need to speak this to you and say to you, we now have hundreds of people across the nation. In fact, it would likely be thousands across the nation from different traditions who are starting to take this step and now the stories are beginning to flow. People who've never known how to, how to bring a person to faith in Jesus. Christian people who'd convinced themselves that they were, they were not evangelists and they didn't know how to do it and they couldn't do it. And now we're starting to get the narrative flowing. In profoundly secular Australia, where only 7% of the nation would be in church on any given Sunday. Imagine what God could do through you. You become the farmer. You sow the seed, which is the word of God. You find the people in your world who are the people of peace and you watch that word multiply in them. Not only multiplying in them, bringing out a bigger and better version of them as their life is redeemed and as the kingdom of God comes, but where they themselves become the farmer who sows the seed. It is possible. It is possible through you. Don't walk away from this. God's got you backed into a corner right now. So how about we pause? I want to pray for you. Let's pray together. So our Father in heaven, I want to say thanks. I want to say thank you for every person who's hearing this message right now. And God in heaven, I pray that you will not let them off the hook. I want to pray for them that this week or in the coming weeks, it will be their moment. It will be their time where they cross the chicken line, where they deal with their fear and they step across that and they say to a friend, to the person of peace in their world, they say, hey, I'm looking for somebody to read the Bible with. I don't know whether you'd be interested. And Father in heaven, I pray that this moment is a tipping point in many people's hearts. And I dare believe that this will lead to the salvation 
of tens, then hundreds, then thousands of lives through each one who hears. So thank you, Lord God. We bless you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Now, Apex Church, I don't know whether the guy's going to let you see. I'm, I want to do a little extra bit right now. I kind of felt the conviction as I was praying for you. I want to tell you, my wife Edie and I trained about 120 people at Crossway with the, exactly this training. On the first Wednesday night when we did the training, we, got, we gave people a challenge at the end of their session to write down the names of people who fit the brief and to pray. And I said, let's just see if anyone can get this phrase out of their mouth in the next seven days. Seven days later, when we came back together, and uh, same 120 people, I said, how many of you spoke those words this week to your personal peace? I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with. Don't know whether you'd be interested. Raise your hand. 30 or more people raised their hand. We took the microphone really quickly, said to person after person, tell me, how did you feel? Everyone said they felt scared. How did it go? Eight people in a row, the very first person they asked said, I'd love to do that with you. Eight people in a row. The very first person I asked said, I'd love to do that with you. We asked the same question the second week and hands went up everywhere. We got the same story. In fact, by the second week, we already started getting people telling about multiples. One young lady, her name's Tabs, Tabitha. We call her Tabs. Tab asked a, uh, a former working, working colleague. She said yes. That former working colleague said, can I bring my partner? She said yes. So all of a sudden she was reading with two and they were going to do it on a Thursday night. And then a, an old school friend that Tabs had known already for a couple of decades said, hey, you want to you do something on Thursday night? And Tabs said, oh, I actually can't. She said, why not? And she said, wow. She said, I'm actually going to read the Bible with a couple of people. And this old school friend said to her, you, you've never asked me to do that. And Tab said, I didn't think you'd be interested. And she said, I would love to do that with you. All of a sudden, Tabs was reading with three people. Uh, we had a, um, a middle-aged white business guy who asked one of his colleagues who said yes. Another business colleague heard about it, said, could I join that? So all of a sudden, he was doing it with, with two people. So we, we saw the multiplying effect. I remember my, my wife, Edie, got six people together and she said, look, I'm going to help you with this just for six weeks. So she helped. These were all Christian people. These are Christian people who had never led anyone to faith in Jesus. And inside six weeks, half of them had already started reading the Bible and one of them had already led their first person to faith in Jesus. Now, these are secular Australian stories. Australia is described as really hard ground for the gospel with only 7% of the nation attending church on a weekend. So... Come on, guys. Come on, Apex Church. You can do it. God bless you, and may a lot of glory be brought to his name.